was now, but she went on this special, eh, call it a diet, whatever, for a month. There were certain things she couldn't eat. And she told us that at the end of the month, her friend said, Lydia, we love you, but you were hangry too much. You can never do that again. And it's like, God, don't let me grow to be a grumpy old man. We're actually two scriptures this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking a lot in the book of Exodus, uh, three chapters. Don't worry, I won't read all three chapters, but it's 32 through 34. And for our textual reading this morning, we want to look in Matthew chapter 5, a portion of the Beatitudes. So if you will stand in our great God's honor, we'll be reading from Matthew 5. Starting at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Father, to be blessed is... Be happy to be joyful, uh, to just be aware of what we have. God, I pray that this morning, as we think of you, not as a distant God, but as a God who is near us, Lord, just move in our midst, and we just, as always, need you. And so, speak. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to start out with a story about some kids in a mother's womb. And the story really has, I think it's twins. But thinking about Thomas, I thought, man, why not just make them triplets? And, you know, the other guy's probably the one going, what are you guys even talking about? And so I thought about sharing this, but I'm going to just kind of read most of it because I think the way this guy wrote it's probably better than I can communicate. <laughs> so you have these babies in the womb. They're having this deep philosophical discussion. Do you believe in life after delivery? Of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what will be later. Nonsense, said the first. There's no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, I don't know, but there will be more light than in here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we will have other senses we can't understand now. This first replied, that's absurd. Walking is impossible. Eating with our mouths, ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need, but the umbilical cord is so short. So life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there's something, and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. The first replied, are you nuts? And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there's nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. I don't know, said the second. But certainly we will meet mother. You actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? (laughs) 
The sick and said, she's all around us. We're surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist, said the first. Well, I don't see her. So it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when you're in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling from down above. And the third kid's still going, what are y'all talking about? There are many today who don't understand, why am I even here? What is the purpose of this life? And people talk about a higher being, or they talk about God, or you know, some, some spiritual being. Who is that? Could such a one really care about me? Does any of that make any difference? And the good news we're going to look at this morning is we have a God who is a relational God. A God who literally seeks out the people that He has made. That's all of us. A God who cares about us. And I want to look this morning at five stages in God's pursuit of us. He wants to have a relationship with us, guys. So turn with me. We're going to start in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, as we look at these five stages. The first stage is rebellion. Look at uh, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Moses has been up on the holy mountain. He has been communing with God. And it's taken longer than the people expected. And they became impatient. And they thought, well, you know, I want to meet God. And I want to get the blessings from God. And I think we're just waiting too long. We need to take action so that we can hear from God. So it's interesting. Um, the Egyptians had a God that they followed whose name was Apis, A-P-I-S, who was a god that, as the story goes, lightning hit a cow, and this god, he was a god of power, came forth from this cow. So anyway, as the people of God looked at the mountain, they saw lightning, they heard thunder, they knew that Almighty God was up there, and they thought, well, we can make our own powerful God. Just like the stories that came from Egypt, the place that we left. And so they formed this golden calf. You know, what happens? God is not like us, guys. As it tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he says, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so... My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And people say, God's just so far away, I can't commune with Him. I can't know what He is thinking. And as a result of that, people just wander. They're lost. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us as believers, it says, while we wait for the 
blessed appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so hard in that waiting phase. And so easily in our impatience, we try to run ahead of God and there is rebellion. And chaos broke loose among God's people in their impatience. And quite honestly though, we all start out with rebellion. don't want to wait for God we have better ideas than God and it certainly gets us in all kinds of trouble Jesus said blessed are those who are poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs what does it mean to be poor in spirit it means you understand I've messed up I've screwed up I am impoverished the good stuff that I do is not near enough please God and that's where it starts whether we realize it or not the scriptures say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so we are all in rebellion at the beginning and God has to come to make peace with us so the second stage where that happens is repentance drop down to verse 31 of chapter 32 So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And then skip over to the next chapter, verse 33, verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. What happened? They were able to clearly see what they could not see before. You know, I think of 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where it says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, unable to see. But once we are able to see that we are in rebellion, then there is an opportunity for there to be life instead of rebellion where there is an opportunity for the relationship to be restored. And in this case, the people acted. They were broken over their sin. And in that brokenness, they acted. That's repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 tells us, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow is simply, uh uh-oh, I got caught. I got to play the game for a while until this blows over, and then I can go back to my old behavior. But godly sorrow is different because it means, man, this is not about me simply getting caught. Yeah, I got caught, but if things are going to get better, I've got to change. One of my favorite verses in the description of repentance is Matthew 4.17 in the Amplified. And it tells us that as Jesus was preaching, he told the people that 
they were to repent, to change their minds for the better and to hardly amend their ways with abhorrence from their past sin. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a change of thinking. There's a change of action that has to take place. And that is repentance. That's what we're called to. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? The Pharisee, you know, he drops on his knees and he begins to pray. He says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. You know, he he says, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, even the tax collector. Thank you, Lord, I'm not like this guy. (laughs) But we know in contrast that the tax collector, man, he was mourning over his sin. He was broken over his sin. He knew he was spiritually bankrupt. And it says he wouldn't even look up, but he was broken. He got down as low as low could go because he knew he was low. And in that lowliness, it says he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Man, that's where the relationship comes alive. When we see not only that there is rebellion, but that repentance is is necessary. God, I don't deserve any of this. Lord, have mercy on me. And, And that's what occurred in that life. And remember what Jesus said in the parable. He said, I tell you that the tax collector was justified. And he went home free. But man, the Pharisee, he never got it. He, he was still depending on what a good person he was. Thank you, God, I'm not like that terrible neighbor down the road or that guy down the street, that bum, that drunk, or whoever. You know, he, he was comparing how good he was to those he saw as less than him. He didn't get it. He didn't understand that he needed forgiveness. This leads to a a third mark, which is a request. Look at chapter 33, verse 13. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. God responded and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You see, the the simple picture was this. Man, God had been so faithful. He led the people out of Egypt. He led them by fire. He led them by cloud. He, He led them with his presence through the whole journey. But the fact of the matter is, he was just a little bit fed up because they were not grateful. They were not repentant, and they were grumblers. And God said, you know what? I think I'm going to just let my angel do the job, and I need some time off from you guys. And, you know, Moses said, Lord, it is not enough to have one who represents you be with us. I want to be with you. Lord, I need your presence to be directly with me. In other words, his request was, it is not enough to have someone else. I need you. I need more of you, O God, in my life. One translation said, show me your own self. That that was the heartbeat of Moses. It reminded me of Philip. Remember when he spoke to Jesus 
And he said, show us the Father, and that will be enough. It is that same type of request. God, in his response, said to Moses, you you don't understand my holiness. No one can really look upon me and see my face and live. You know, it's kind of like we're bugs and the bug zappers there. If we get too close, it's and we're gone. Why? Why would Moses ask for this? I mean, he had seen some great displays of God and his greatness. He had seen the burning bush that didn't burn up. God spoke to him directly. This is a holy place, Moses. Take off your shoes. God spoke to him. He watched God open up the vast sea so that the people could could escape the army of the Egyptians that were trying to catch them. He saw and worked through the different plagues. And yet, Moses said, don't leave us. Why? He saw all of this. Surely he believed in God. Surely he had evidence and he had proof that yes, God does exist. And yes, God does care because he has gotten us this far. But what did he say? Yes, I have tasted of you, Lord, but it is not enough. I need more. I need a deeper walk with you. I need to know you more intimately. Lord, you are what I need. It reminds me of, of the world of becoming a grandparent, which I have been for several years now. You know, I used to make fun of, in my mind of those grandparents who always seem to have a picture of their grandchildren nearby. And very, very happy to show you pictures of the grandkids. Of course, now in this age, we don't just have um, pictures to show, but with our cell phones, we have images that we can show. And, of course, we have this thing called FaceTime or video chat. And whereas it's great to talk on the phone, it's even better to see one another and to communicate through the miracle of, I don't understand how these waves that zing, zing through the air or uh, through some kind of fibers can end up uh, on my phone in an image where I can directly communicate, but that certainly occurs. And yet, as great as that is, as a substitute, what would be far better is to be with that loved one in their presence and to directly enjoy being with them. And, and Moses is saying, I know that you love us, Lord. I know that you care for us. And I know that you will send this angel to be with us. But God, just quite honestly, it is not enough. I want to be with you, Lord. Listen to Psalm 17, 15. This is from the Living Bible. But as for me, my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. And when I awake in heaven, I will be fully satisfied, for I will see you face to face. See, that, that's the psalmist. The psalmist says, man, it's not just about this world and all the toys that I can collect and all the prestige and honor that I may gain here. I don't live for that. What I really live for, Lord, is knowing that all is well between us and that I'm going to see you face to face today. 
there was that God hunger for the presence of God that one day will be for all of eternity. But, but the psalmist is saying, man, I desire that now. And in a relationship with God, once we see that he knew our rebellion, once he sees our genuine repentance, how can there not be a hunger and a thirst for God to see him and, and to know him and, and, and to walk with him and to realize what, what great joy there is in him? You know, Moses' request was answered in a powerful manner in the times of Jesus. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah was there with Jesus and, and a few other of Jesus' followers. And there Moses saw the glory of God displayed in the Messiah, the risen Christ in, in his presence right there. He said, show me your glory, God. Boy, did he get a big dose of that glory as he saw Jesus Christ. As the glory of God shone brightly upon the Son of God. Now, moving on here from rebellion to repentance to request, to revelation. Uh, chapter 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Says Moses, I'm going to pass... You're only going to get to see the back of my head. But you're going to hear from me. I'm going to speak to you. Uh, chapter 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. He didn't get to see God's face directly, but he got what he needed. He heard powerful words, that a description of who God is the personality of God, of the presence of God, who God really is. Sometimes we don't understand in our struggle, God, who are you? When are you going to show up? And, and, and when are you going to answer my broken heart and the issues that are keeping me depressed and broken? Lord, it, it makes me think of the sisters, Martha and Mary, and they sent word to Jesus the one you love, our precious brother Lazarus, he's very sick. He's on the verge of death. Please get here quickly. He doesn't have much time left. And yet, Jesus waited. They didn't understand. Jesus comes. Lazarus has already died. Why, Lord? Why would you let this happen? What they didn't know was that God wanted to display his glory in an even more powerful way by raising Lazarus from the dead. 
And he did it how? Through his powerful word. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he had to call him by name. Otherwise, you'd have every grave open up in that area. Bodies coming up, walking around. He specifically said, Lazarus. He showed his glory to them in a way they didn't fully understand. Listen to 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words, if you belong to Jesus, if Jesus lives in you, you have a divine power that provides you with everything that you need for a godly life. You want to be godly? You have it. The power of Christ that resides within you empowers you to live that life, guys. That's the promise. Remember when uh, the road to Emmaus, you had the disciples walk along and this stranger comes up beside them and starts talking from the scriptures at the very beginning. and He's moving throughout the scriptures up to the present time. <laughs> and in that description about God and the love of God and the movement of God, he was really speaking about himself, and they discovered it was Jesus. And I love that part. Afterward, Jesus left. You know, Jesus didn't do the levitation thing and said, Ooh, look at me, I'm floating. Obviously, I'm God, you know. And He didn't do these special kind of things. He didn't present himself in, you know, a, a taco. Not bad, taco, right? Yeah, that kind of thing. But it, anyway, <laughs> it wasn't any of that. It says, wasn't our hearts burning within us as we heard him speak? It was the power of the word coming alive from the spirit of God, from the one who is God, that, that spoke and, and their hearts burned from that word. Sometimes we, man, we say these things, well, the Bible is the word of God. And, you know, we need to read the Bible. We need to be in the word. And Man, all that is such, but why? Because, guys, this is what Jesus said. Do you want to know him? Do you want to have a relationship with him? Do you want to become more intimate with the creator of all? Well, what better way than to see what he had to say to us? To, to read what he has left for us in order to be able to grow in that relationship that he wants to have with us. There's a story about a guy who had always wanted to go on a cruise ship. <laughs> so he saved up his money. He bought a ticket to go on a cruise. But he didn't understand everything about the cruise. He thought, man, I'm not going to have enough money to pay for food on this cruise. So he packed him uh, three jars of peanut butter and a couple of jars of jelly, jam, bread. Of course, you see his plan. He was going to eat peanut butter and jelly on that cruise. So, you know, the first couple of days he's on the cruise, it's not too bad. He's, he's eating that peanut butter and jelly, but he smells the food. He thinks, man, I just would like just one meal, just one meal. So finally, you know, he's just thinking, just one meal. He comes out and he's shaking his head, and the, and the porter, the guy working on the ship, says, everything okay, sir? And he said, I Man, that food smells so good, but I just didn't have enough money in order to buy the food here. So I had to pack peanut butter and jelly, and man, I got peanut butter and jelly about to come out my nose, you know. I've eaten so much of it, and uh, man, I'd love to have some of that food. And he said, well, let me see your ticket. 
So he looked at his ticket and he said, sir, when you bought this ticket, the food was included. Go for it, dude. God still says to us today, the blessings of God, the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. When you gave your heart to Christ, when you trusted Christ, when you turned to Christ, when you went from rebellion to repentance, and then you made the request, I want more of you, it is available. It has been given to us. It's like, man, just don't live thinking that you don't have God's blessing upon your life now. Live in that blessing. It was part of the admission because of the cross of Christ. His death has provided the blessings that we so need. They're available to us. All right, this brings us to this last stage of the relationship with God. It is response. Chapter 34, verse 8. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. That was his response. But Moses' direct prayer requests weren't answered. But, of course, indirectly they were answered as God wanted them answered. You know, true worship is sometimes hard when we don't get our perceived way. Well, God, I don't know which way you do it this way. And he decides we're going to do it that way. Sometimes we're going, I don't know if I want to worship you or not, God. You didn't do what I wanted. We may not say it like that, but in reality, that's what we communicate. Moses bowed, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped because he had saw, he had caught glimpse of the living God. He had truly seen God. Um, I'll close uh, with this story. Um, years ago, on television, there was a tiger act. And they had a guy, and he was in a cage with all these Bengal tigers and Suddenly, a terrible thing happened. Uh, it was shown at night, this tiger act, and all the electricity went out, and suddenly he was in the dark for about 30 seconds. But 30 seconds with Bengal tigers, and you can't see them, had to be a rather uncomfortable place to be. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure for a moment he was thinking, they can see me. But I can't see them. Was I ever mean to them when I was training them? Do you think they were mean to me? Well, anyway, the lights came back on, and he was still there, and so were the tigers. Look, God is not a Bengal tiger. And in the dark, we may think he can't see us, but he's the Lion of Judah, and he sees all. And he loves you. And he is constantly in pursuit of you. He wants to have that relationship with you. He wants you to move from rebellion to repentance to request of wanting more and more of Him to seek revelation of, of learning who He is and, and what His promises are and trusting in Him and developing that deeper walk with Him until it leads to that awesome response of worship because He is worthy. He is worthy of it all. And, and guys, as we think about seeing God clearly it's all tied up in a relationship with Him. Do you have it? 
I'm not talking about just showing up at, at church or, or if you're watching this online or, you know, watching it through media, a message and a, a worship session among God's people. That is a display of what has already happened in your life. We come here to worship not to gain God's attention, but because he's already got our attention. And, and we want to give it to him. What little bit that we have, do you have that relationship? God is in pursuit of you if you don't. He wants to forgive you. He wants to have a day-to-day time with you. That's our God. He's a personal God. He's calling. You say yes. Maybe you're already his child, but for whatever reason, you're not listening. You're being difficult. Sometimes I blame my kids and my grandkids for that, but I'm guilty. We all do. Maybe it's time to say, God, I come repentant. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for your word. Father, I, I thank you for how you are in pursuit of us, Lord. And as we come before you this morning, Lord, we come realizing that if not for you, we have no hope. So, Father, if there is one here, there is one listening, what a great time to just turn to the living God and see Jesus, to find that forgiveness that is through Jesus, and to have this relationship either start or to return, uh, Father, I just pray you move among us, Lord. We're all a mess, but I'm so grateful that you are a greater Savior than I am. <laughs> so move among us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.